Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, thank you so much for joining us on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and we uh, are going to have a chance to talk about prostate cancer screening, Dr. Charles, uh, something that, uh, depending on your age, uh, is important for men and for wives to encourage their husbands or significant others uh, to go ahead and get that screening, because as we know, we guys are a lot more hesitant about getting the tests we need. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I'm excited that we're talking to Dr. Roberts today, who's a urologist and specializes in in things related to prostates and prostate cancer, because the recommendations have changed through the years. And so it's going to be interesting to get his perspective on prostate cancer. Well, why don't we introduce him? Uh, Dr. Andrew Roberts, a physician with USMD in Dallas, Fort Worth, is board certified in urology, practices medicine at the USMD HEB Urology Clinic in Bedford, Texas. Dr. Roberts earned his medical degree from the University of Texas Medical Health Science Center. He completed his residency at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And Dr. Roberts, it is great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Let me ask you just out of curiosity, uh, what led you to choose a specialty in urology? Uh, well, it was uh, interesting. I come from a family of uh, a urologist. My dad was a urologist and um, kind of went through the rotations in medical school and it just sort of fit for me. It's a mixture of the medical side and the surgical side. And uh, we certainly, you know, see our patients typically over decades. And so I liked that aspect of it too, where I kept contact with people and it just sort of fit with me. I got to do a little bit of both, uh, both procedures and, and, you know, medical care of people. So you like that long-term relationship with patients? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Marissa, you have that as well with your patients, long-term generally relationships. Absolutely. And I, you know, that's definitely something that drew me to primary care as well is the ability to, and then family practice in particular, because you get to know multiple family members at times, you know, from, and although in my current practice, I'm not seeing a lot of children, um, I do still have, you know, some families where I have more than one generation, uh, you know, that are all seeing me together, which is great. Well, we're all getting older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully. So the parents get Hopefully. older, the kids get older, and they all Everybody end up seeing does. you. I like that. That's right. That's it's pretty good. cool. So Dr. Roberts, as Dr. Charles indicated, when we opened the show, uh, there, there has been a lot of discussion of late on prostate screenings and whether as one ages, uh, figuring that most prostate cancers are pretty slow growing, you don't need to do that screening when you reach a certain age. Where do you come down on that? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Certainly in the last five uh, years, we've modified our screening recommendations. Um, you know, you have to remember that the PSA is our main screening tool. We use it with a physical exam. Um, but it's been around since the around 1985 to 1987 when it became clinically applicable. And um, like anything, whether it's your smartphone or your computer, um, things have evolved since then. And 
you know, at that point, we typically recommended men at age 50 get a PSA annually and do it for their life. Um, and what we've learned through the years, as we've learned more about the PSA and prostate cancer screening, is that like with any tool, there are some um, times where it's applicable or sometimes when it's useful and other times when it's not. And so it takes, um, going back to your, your point about, you know, taking care of people over their lifetime, it takes a candid discussion and it's really useful in men who have a 10 year life expectancy. And the UA has sort of clarified when we use the PSA test as part of a screening examination and, and really limited it to try to get um, the most use out of it and minimize the ha- the potential harms uh, associated with the misuse of it. Now, PSA is a, a blood test. Uh, and correct me if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, but I understood that occasionally you get false positives with a PSA. That's right. I mean, uh, anytime we do a blood test, there's roughly a one in 20 chance that it's abnormal. It could be falsely low or falsely high. And that's where we try to use PSA in context. A lot of times, if from their primary care physician's office, I can get perhaps uh, several years of PSA readings. We look at the PSA trend or what we call the PSA velocity. But when we have an isolated reading of a PSA, that's right. We, you know, you can run into times where it's falsely elevated, say, by uh, a rigorous exam or a recent infection or catheterization or things like that, or simple lab error. And so you try to put it in context and uh, minimize the chance of, of getting a false reading. And once again, I'm, I'm struggling with common wisdom. And that common wisdom is if we guys live long enough, we're all going to end up with prostate cancer. That's right. I mean, uh, urologists will say something very similar to that. And and most of us trained in urology will say, if you live into your 90s, you know, you have about a 90% chance of having prostate cancer, but also understand, you know, without ending the sentence that way is that most, a vast majority of prostate cancers are very indolent and may take between five, if not I mean, between 10, if not 15 years to become clinically apparent or to give you a problem or morbidity. And so, you know, the average age of a man in the United States or the average lifespan is 79. And so the newest recommendations say that uh, for men at average risk, um, you know, prostate cancer screening should continue until age 70. And after age 70, it should really only be used in, in cases where there's an excellent expectation of longevity or life expectancy. Well, I happen to be 79 and, and we've got twin boys who are eight. One of them, Carter, said to me the other day, he does a lot of reading. He said, Daddy, I, I read that the average age for, for people is 71. You're 79. You're a super dad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, 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 and what you're highlighting is you put it in context. I mean, I've seen 70-year-olds that look 60 and, and vice versa. I think that if you're, you know, if you're looking at a 70-year-old who runs marathons or who's very active, it doesn't mean he can't get screened for prostate cancer. It just means screen him cautiously and appropriately. Sometimes at that age, if the man is in excellent shape, we'll screen every other year or every third year, again, to minimize the potential risks of screening, meaning doing tests and biopsies and treating prostate cancer where it's not really appropriate, but we don't want to lose track of men either. And so you try to use the tool, meaning the PSA, 
more appropriately, whether you look at the trend or you use it every other year, but you use it better until we get that next new tool for prostate cancer screening. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Our special guest, Dr. Andrew Roberts on the WellMed Radio Hotline. He's talking to us from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He hangs out in Bedford, Texas with the USMD HEB Urology Clinic, and we're talking about prostate cancer screenings. And, and Dr. Roberts, uh, people do die from prostate cancer. Not many, right? That's right. I mean, if you look at the mortality from prostate cancer, it, it's comparatively, uh, when you look at other malignancies, rather low. I mean, we still see patients who present with advanced disease or patients who have it over years and unfortunately progress to mortality. But it's typically when caught early, a very treatable cancer. And therein lies, you know, part of the difficulty with screening is, you know, when caught early, it's very treatable and, and curable. Um, so you want to minimize the men who are diagnosed with advanced disease, but you don't want to overdo it and, and screen too many men and put them through, you know, potentially morbid treatments that aren't going to benefit from that detection. And that's where the individual physician needs to be better at applying prostate cancer screening in the appropriate way, in the appropriate setting and have that, you know, it centers upon that discussion with a patient and, and, and being candid about, look, what are your other conditions? What's a reasonable life expectancy and, and what are your risks and when to do it and when not to do it? That's right. So when you say uh, you don't want to put them through stuff uh, that can be very difficult, uh, do you have an obligation to act if you do a test that shows a potential for cancer? Well, sure. I mean, a lot of times as a specialist, you know, I do very little prostate cancer screening, actually, because I typically don't see asymptomatic men. They come from my primary care colleagues. And so they are screened most commonly before they get to me. Once the bell has been rung, so to speak, you can't unring it. And so um, when I see a man with an elevated PSA, it's not quite just straightforward go to a diagnostic test. It's really to talk about things and say, look, are we going to pursue this diagnosis and potential treatment if if cancer is found, or are we going to be patient and watch it? And therein is the art of medicine. It's it's assessing those risks and other medical conditions and saying, you know, is this appropriate or is it not? And having an informed and educated patient so they can make that you know, that educated choice. How do you handle this, Dr. Charles? Yes, just like Dr. Um, Roberts was saying, yes, it's it's all about having a conversation. Now, the vast majority of my patients are 65 plus, you know, so I have a lot of those patients that are 70 plus where we have to have that discussion um, regarding the benefits versus the risks of, of a screening test. Whereas, you know, when I started off in training, we were screening everybody every year, but we did end up finding that a lot of patients would end up with a, you know, elevated PSA and would then undergo multiple biopsies and procedures to try to identify a cancer. And sometimes even, you know, beyond that, um, radiation treatments, you know, other surgical interventions that perhaps, you know, once we looked at it long term, may not have been, you know, they may have gotten more complications and more difficulty 
from the procedures themselves than they would have had from the cancer. Isn't so that the some worth part that, of the, of sometimes. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and our special guest is Dr. Andrew Roberts. You're listening to WellMed Radio. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Crying, waiting, hoping. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Maurice Charles. We're talking on the Wellmet Radio Hotline from Bedford, Texas, with Dr. Andrew Roberts. He's with USMD HEB Urology Clinic. He's a urologist. And uh, Dr. Charles, you were asking him about what is it he sees from too much testing, too many interventions. Absolutely. That was my, my question for Dr. Roberts. And, you know, the downside or the potential risks of screening, uh, not only are the diagnostic tools, which uh, modern diagnostic tools would either be an MRI or a biopsy, which is an invasive test where we take needle samples and certainly has some risks like bleeding, infection and difficulty voiding. But then treatment, once we find a prostate cancer, you know, if it's radiation, it can be, you know, scar tissue or irritation of the bladder or the rectum or surgery, certainly impotence, sexual dysfunction and incontinence. And so if you find a cancer, you want to make sure that if you're going to treat it, you minimize that risk or downside of treatment and not put a man through those risks or expose him to those risks if he's not going to have any real benefit from from those treatments. And those would be the guys in the last 10 years of their life, you know. Um, so you want to find the guys that you can cure and that have excellent longevity and, and minimize the exposure to men who don't really need to undertake those risks. Now, how are you able to project that someone's got 10 years left? That's a, you know, that's, again, that's the art of medicine. You can do it. Because I'd like, I'd like 20, not 10. Absolutely. I'd like <laughs> as many good ones as I can get. Or 30, you know? right. and, uh, I still get screened. Uh, my dad, who's a retired urologist, had a joke about that. And he would say, huh. well, if you bring your dad in and he says it's okay for you to get tested, you know, for my death rate, <laughs> then it was okay. But in light of, in the absence uh-huh. of their father still being around, you know, you, there are tables that can do it. You can do it statistically, or you can simply look at their morbidity and have an honest, candid discussion with them and say, look, are you active? You know, do you have problems breathing? Do you have heart issues? And, 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 and you know, it's an estimate. Um, it's an educated estimate, but it comes down to an estimate. In fact, take the right door, you go right to hospice. 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, the, it, it's sort of like, you know, how, how quickly do you need to save your retirement or spend your retirement money? Well, if you knew how long you were going to live, you could answer that question. I, I think similarly, if you knew how long you were going to live, you could learn, you could find out when to stop screening for prostate cancer. It's a very common thing well, up- too. I mean, and so you have to put it in context is for men, it's probably the most common cancer we're going to get after the age of 50. So there's a lot of it out there. Wow. Now I want to pick up on something you said uh, uh, incontinence because uh, you still see a lot of TV ads uh, showing men running to the bathroom, which uh, implies that uh, perhaps they have a, a swollen prostate and they're suffering from incontinence. What are some of the causes and what are some of the treatments for people, uh, males and females, struggling with incontinence? Unrelated to prostate cancer, well, for men, you know, typically the problem, the way our plumbing is designed is the prostate's in the way of the, or the, the outlet to the bladder. And so as it enlarges naturally with age, it impinges upon the urinary flow. And initially those are obstructive symptoms, but when they play out or, or untreated, they become either irritative or r- relate to, you know, problems with incontinence because of the underlying obstruction. The other issue by, in is Dr. Oh, Roberts, by obstructive symptoms, you're meaning blockage um, symptoms, difficulty so voiding, like slowing difficulty of the urinary stream, things like mm-hmm. that. But when those symptoms go on unchecked, then it can lead to problems with incontinence because the bladder is so distended or the bladder itself decompensates. Now, in men, the other time we typically see incontinence is after things we do as urologists, like surgeries for prostate enlargement or more commonly surgeries for prostate cancer, which carries, you know, perhaps a five or 10 percent risk of incontinence. Um, for women, the causes of incontinence are very different because their anatomy is different. And typically it's related to lack of restriction of the outflow from muscle weakness, either from childbearing or gynecologic surgeries or, you know, other medical conditions, which weaken the pelvic floor musculature, which can lead to incontinence. And so So they can't close off the uh, urinary tract. Exactly. That's exactly right. Shut that door. That's right. They, there's not enough outlet resistance. And so when they put pressure on the bladder, like coughing or lifting or sneezing, they leak urine. The other causes are then overactive bladder symptoms where the bladder squeezes at inopportune times. And that's called urge incontinence. So depending on the, you know, the age of the patient, certainly the sex, and if they've had, you know, pelvic surgery or things like that, you know, the causes of leakage are very different in those different settings. Now, all of that are, are, are treatable if people are willing to tell their PCP they've got a problem. Absolutely. Am I right, Marisa? That's right. You know, initially, and you know what we screen at, at our WellMed clinics, you know, that's one of the yearly questions that we, we ask because it is sometimes difficult to bring it up if the if it's not normalized. You know, if we don't make just asking, you know, at least once a year, every year, how are you voiding? You know, how are you, are you struggling with incontinence? Are you losing urine, you know, with cough and sneeze, you know, so those are questions we actually screen at least once a year, if not more frequently, depending on, on what symptoms patients are having. But so, so, so you mean it's not normal if you cough and a little pee pee runs out. That's not normal. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it, it, with women, for sure, it can happen, you know, like you Common, like, but not normal. Common, but normal. No, it's not That's normal. Right, right. And it is one of our quality measures that, you know, that she mm-hmm. alluded to is that it's, you know, it's one of the metrics that we use in certain populations that is part of our screening tools. Mm-hmm. Dr. When it Roberts. Comes to patients, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Marisa. Oh, no, I was just going to ask if he could, you know, just going, getting back to the prostate cancer screening, if he can talk to us a little bit about the benefits versus limitations of the rectal exam, the digital rectal exam. And I'm glad you bring that up. You know, I'm just old enough to remember, you know, when I was taught the foundation of, you know, care of patients is history and physical exam. And I think, unfortunately, that a little bit of that is lost in that true screening for prostate cancer not only involves the history and the PSA, which is very important, but the physical exam is still part of that. And when you couple the PSA with the prostate exam, even though it's perhaps for patients a little embarrassing and a little uncomfortable, the PSA is much more powerful when you put PSA with physical exam. And so I'm very glad you brought that up. I still strongly believe that if you're going to screen, screening really involves both of those, um, not just I have a question. As a male who has had uh, numerous digital rectal exams, uh, checking out the prostate, how do you train that finger to know whether a prostate is okay or not? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, we typically tell men or tell trainees that the prostate should feel like the 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 muscle part of of your thumb and it sh- f- should feel smooth but typically it involved at least the people that trained me and I'm lucky I actually work with uh, a, a urologist who was my chief resident when I was an intern but he would do a prostate exam and he'd say this is normal and then he would say you do the prostate exam and then he you know when he found one that was abnormal he would say this is an abnormal exam and he'd say do do an exam and tell me what it feels like but you know a nodular prostate feels like a knuckle or a bump or a firm area it, it's not supple it's not smooth it's not symmetrical but it, it is a difficult exam to learn and it just takes, you know, time. The more you do, the better you get at it. That's right. And and I think with any type of screening, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, women who get breast exams, uh, you know, when you look at the skin and look and screen for skin cancer, I think, you know, you just got to do it over and over and, and, and gain that experience, you know. I met a guy a few years ago who was a uh, uh, volunteer at a local medical school for prostate exams. He would go in and uh, he'd be the subject that they would do the exam on, uh, which was a way that you learned on a real live person. I'm not sure that's the way I'd want to make a living, by the way. Yeah, I imagine it was paid very well. Um, You know, not a lot of volunteers for that spot, but certainly, you know, we all went through it as trainees in medicine is, you know, someone was your first patient and someone volunteered, thankfully, people like that who did volunteer and, and let us, you know, become good at what we do. So we depend on people like that um, in our medical school and in our residencies. You've only got about two minutes left. And, and I'd, I'd like you to share with us, are there ways in which uh, we can eat better, exercise better, handle ourselves better to minimize the risk for prostate cancer? Absolutely. I think generally, I mean, as, as, as you know, I mean, the better that we treat our bodies, less, you know, processed foods, certainly less red meat, less fried food, 
Um, we think perhaps that green tea and, and a healthier diet uh, can contribute to certainly a healthier prostate. There's nothing specific that can do it. We used to think that a diet rich in zinc and lycopene and selenium were protective, and they certainly don't hurt. But I think an overall healthy diet, you know, staying more active and then, you know, going to your primary care doc and getting the appropriate screening in the appropriate setting are the, you know, the things that you can do as a patient. Now you're saying less red meat and more fish? That's right. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, in DFW, I mean, we live next door to a stockyard, so we eat a lot of red meat. But I think that generally limiting that to three servings a week, probably the size of your fist is is probably a more appropriate amount of red meat to eat. I hope the cattlemen aren't too mad at me for saying that. <laughs> but, um, you know, less fried food, less processed food, more vegetables and things like that. What so limit that uh, 40 milking? ounce... Oh, cigarettes. Yes. Bad. Yes. Generally, I think that's <laughs> unequivocal at this point. <laughs> I was going to say that 40 ounce cowboy steak is not something one ought to be eating every week. Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. Hey, any other thoughts before we let you go? No, I think it's a, a very relevant topic. I think the only downside as urologist we see to, you know, limitations on screening is that, uh, that perhaps the, the misconception that you don't need to be screened. Everyone, you know, populations need to be screened. They need to be appropriately screened. And if there's a question at all, start with your primary care physician and, you know, get the appropriate screening in whatever setting you're in. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today on WellMed Radio. Dr. Andrew Roberts at USMD HEB Urology Clinic in a little town of Bedford, Texas, right near a stockyard in DFW. Thanks, doctor. Thanks, guys. Thank you. you take care. Bye-bye. And on behalf of Dr. Marisa Charles, our co-host, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.